Welcome to Machine Learning. General linear modeling. General linear modeling um, is kind of like the basis of the logistic regression. You've got logistic regression, which is your binomial, where it's a zero or one classifier. And uh, you also have linear regressor, which is your trends, looking at your trend, uh, where it's creating a linear regression line. And uh, it's uh, fitting the data. So what, what it does is, uh, it's like say you have data and you're wanting to find the best fit through a line through your data. That's linear regression. So there's no curvature to the line at all. Uh, so it doesn't have kind of this uh, higher order polynomial, like say a second order polynomial, which would be like a parabola fitting through your data. Uh, or even a third polynomial where it'd be kind of a, uh, you know, like a, a tangent function. Um, so, uh, um, going back to linear modeling. So linear modeling allows you to do your analysis uh, of the data. So you can take, uh, let's say if you're doing a binomial, uh, you want to predict, let's say you want to predict a target in relationship to another variable or several variables. Uh, so you can then uh, select the variables that you want and then you would uh, set your family as a uh, binomial. And then if you wanted to say, for example, if you wanted to find trend, you would set your family as Gaussian. Um, so in terms of binomial, uh, you would then get your coefficients and you could, you could check to see uh, the rate in which the uh, probabilities are changing that's kind of a velocity so a tangent to the curve or the slope and that will tell you the velocity and then you can calculate that uh, change in velocity or incremental change in velocity and then plot it out and then you can see at what point that uh, your probabilities or the odds which odds are a function of the probability uh, so you can measure, probability and odds are not the same thing, but you can calculate odds from probability and probability from odds. So they're kind of interchangeable in that sense. Um, and so you can see where, you know, the rap, where the probability is changing the fastest. And so then you could say, well, you know, if you're looking in business, uh, and you're trying to make a correlation to an outcome, you could see uh, what area is changing the quickest, and then that would be uh, maybe the area you focus in on because that's the you know, that's where you're getting the highest correlation, or the odds are the highest, or changing the, the most rapidly to the outcome. Uh, so you can also measure the uh, coefficients and figure out uh, inter uh, confidence intervals and those confidence intervals you know at 95 percent where you're you're certain that the the odds are are 95 percent confident uh, 
in the, in that in that uh, in that span. So that it will give you an odd log odds span, or you could actually convert it using doing NP exponent. Uh, you could then convert it into uh, an actual odds range where you have the 95% confidence interval. So with that uh, general linear model, then you can assess, because it's, it's using variance and covariance, you can assess uh, correlation of how well the, the variable is correlating to the outcome. And so the, there's, uh, you have standard error, which you, you're looking at uh, uh, variance and covariance. And then you have the Z factor, uh, which is giving you an idea of uh, statistically significant. So if it's greater than two, two, it's statistically significant, meaning that that feature is contributing to the outcome. And, uh, and then you have, um, uh, you have the p-value, which uh, is going to tell you whether it's positive or negative uh, correlated to the hypothesis. So your hypothesis might be that the weight of the crab will determine whether or not a satellite is in the nest. Okay, so that might be the core of the hypothesis you're testing. So you can check your Z, your standard error, and your p-values to determine that. These are really uh, powerful tools, even though it sounds complicated where you're dealing with a lot of different coefficients. As long as you understand what those coefficients are, are telling you, everything is in terms of odds. Okay, so now if you look at odds, you have, uh, let's say you have four dices that you throw, three are winners and one are losers. That means that for every three throws or four throws that you make, three will win and one will lose. That's your odds. And so you can, you can, uh, you can measure things in terms of occurrences. You know, maybe like you're looking at, uh, uh, let's say you're looking at drivers, you know, accidents. So you, you look in, number of years okay so that might be the like the number of throws the number of years and in, the, in those certain number of years how many times did an accident occur and that might be uh, your your odds and so if if there were say two accidents in five years maybe that would be an indicator that that person shouldn't be given a company vehicle or or maybe that might be grounds for termination or something. But, uh, you know, you look, you measure odds or count things, and then uh, you form a hypothesis, and then you check your p-values, and then you check to make sure your standard confidence intervals are good, and then things are correlating. And then with that, you can make decisions, statistical decisions. And over the life of your uh, uh, model, that those statistical decisions will be valuable because they will uh, lead to uh, certain outcomes that have a, a mathematical uh, value to them.
so there you know there is no surprises when it comes to math now the only surprise that you would get in terms of uh, you know outcomes would be if your model didn't account for a certain feature or a feature was outside you know hadn't been detected and that was a major contributor to the predictability of the system so there there is that uh, human in the loop aspect where you're you're going to be analyzing the domain knowledge and trying to assess whether or not you have all of the uh, features that you need to make accurate predictions but you know when you stop and think about most of the world is running off of classification in other words they're probably doing a lot of binomial type of work you know is it fraud is it not fraud is it uh, is there a good customer going to turn or not turn uh, will I be approved for a card will I not be approved for a card will the person pay their taxes or not pay their taxes uh, things like that will can uh, probably be determined uh, based on the statistics of the group so there are certain behaviors of the group and if you can if you can capture a lot of the behavioral uh, types of data then the system can accurately classify that data and then make uh, predictions within a certain level of confidence of accuracy uh, uh, whether or not the person will uh, follow fall into one of the uh, binary states so I, I do see a lot of uh, value in the the, the uh, general linear model because a lot of ways the general linear model is the beginnings of the logistic regression because you can do binomial and then you can do a linkage and and link that to a log it so you got the log it function the binomial and that and that's largely how uh, you get those coefficients from the logistic regression classifier is that you can pull that uh, those those variables into uh, and, and you can also set that using uh, search CV you can find the the best parameters and uh, you can feed that into the classifier so there's a lot of discovery that can be made uh, as a result of different classifiers but I think the basic building block that you want to start with is the linear regret uh, li uh, general linear model and then you can move to the ordinary least squares the ordinary least squares uh, you know it doesn't have uh, the families but you would set up the, your ordinary least squares and then you can set up your formula and then you can fit it and you can analyze those coefficients to see um, if you've found how the uh, uh, how if it's found a maximum uh, solution so it's fitting the data well and uh, and then if it has a flat peak then it's probably not it probably didn't find a maximum solution but if it has a sharp peak it's more likely to have found a uh, a, a maximum solution so uh, in analyzing uh, stack overflow the uh, there was a lot of questions on OLS 
and they were, you know, a lot of it was mainly trying to get the data formed in the correct way. So a lot of times you have a list of lists and the lists are, need to be uh, rotated or transposed. And so one way to do that I found was to use reverse and uh, unpack the reverse and then zip it and then add that uh, as, a, um, as your X component to the uh, data frame. What will happen is you'll get an X with a bunch of tuples and, uh, and then your Y component, which is your target. And then what I did was uh, <clears throat> I used a apply against the data frame and then for each one of the uh, columns, in the, I just mapped the tuple index starting with zero through how many tuples that were in the list of lists to uh, a column in the data frame. And then so then it extracts out the tuple value out, moves it into the uh, data frame and um, and then I and then I drop the the X component and then in my formula instead of using uh, Y tilde X I would use Y tilde X of zero X of one X of two X of three etc and uh, in this case the the Y component wasn't uh, binomial so um, I, I wasn't able to do multiple multiple uh, uh, features in the formula but if you have a if you have a binomial then you can do multiple features and then you can uh, build a second data frame and use a lin space and give it a range uh, usually you can kind of see what the range that the X components uh, of the formula are feed that in and then uh, uh, set a value and then on the uh, um, on the data frame using the lin space and the range of numbers based on what you see with the in the from the data frame x of zero column and then feed that into the model dot predict and then get that and then plot it out and uh, that will show you what the predictions will be based on the classifier or the model uh, what it's predicting that will be the outcome for for your y component so you're feeding in the x and then it's predicting the the y component and then you plot that out and then you can plot that against the actual y and see how you how you're performing, um, and so if it's you know if the error is fairly small, then you might have a, a fairly accurate uh, model. If the error is really you know like your predictions are very skewed from the the actual predictions, then you you might want to uh, reconsider uh, what your models how your model was set up. Um, Things that could skew it, or maybe outliers, uh, where it's uh, you know it's not uh, there's a bad goodness of fit, um, 
and uh, things like that. But other than that, uh, th this is really great. The generalized linear model is really great because it takes you into the heart of statistical thinking and you can now quantify a lot of your business uh, assumptions and rationale. And so getting good at linear programming and ordinary least squares is, uh, I think, really critical for decision makers in business. And uh, that's where I'm seeing a lot of value right now in the machine learning. I can see why uh, this, this might be very helpful in terms of making the connection to logistic regression. Because I really think the logistic regression classifier does everything that the linear, uh, the general linear model does. But the general linear model is kind of the foundational piece to the statistic, uh, stats models. And so if you're really kind of wanting to understand equations and then going from the equations, you know, to the model and looking at coefficients, like there's covariance, co parameters, there's just regular parameters, which is your intercept and your, uh, uh, your beta coefficient. There's, uh, 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 there's other, you know, there's other types of parameters. You've got your confidence intervals, and these pre-built inside the stats model get you really close to the mathematics. And so, in some cases, I would say you're probably going to like stats model better because it's kind of low level. It's like the difference between C++ and C, you're going to be really close to the machine, you're going to be really close to the mathematics. Where uh, in logistic regression, you really, you know, in the logistic regression uh, LR classifier, you really don't need to know too much about the mathematics. Uh, you need to know whether it's a classification problem or a trend problem, definitely. But once you've divided it in those two camps, then you can follow kind of a recipe to getting an outcome. Where as stats models, you're really looking at those coefficients, you know, you can analyze where things are changing, uh, and you can get, uh, uh, it's pretty fast because everything's in NumPy arrays, and you know, you're getting some, you can get some pretty interesting results quick. Well, what's new? Uh, so other than that, I guess what's new would be, uh, you know, practicing your Python coding and, uh, you know, looking for ways to make things efficient. And there's, I guess there's a lot of, one thing you want to do is try to remove looping as often as you can. So, you know, uh, looking at iterative tools uh, using list comprehensions, using the apply, and also uh, using functions that will pack and pack the data. So, you know, it do, does the equivalent of an iterator, but it packs the data and then you, you unpack it like zip. Zip is an example where it forms tuples or, and then you, uh, you can unpack it with a asterisk and list, and then you can uh, and then you can work with the uh, access the it, the tuple by by index. So there are a lot of questions about two-dimensional arrays. Uh, num, uh, Python does not have two-dimensional arrays, but you can have a list 
of two poles and that two pole can be accessed just like a uh, two-dimensional array. So you have a two element tuple and you have one list that in essence gives you the equivalent of a two-dimensional array in terms of accessibility. So you know understanding tuples are, are really important. Um, I've, at first when I started working with tuples I was like okay tuples just a kind of a, a clever way to combine two numbers uh, maybe it's more efficient in terms of execution speed. But then actually, as I've started working with tuples, I realized that, uh, you know, tuples represent data as a set. And so then, you know, let's say you have a list of tuples. If you want to find out how many unique uh, tuples that you have, then you use the set command and uh, it will tell you in that list your unique tuples uh, because it's looking at everything in terms of a set. And uh, with sets, you can do things like intersection, union, uh, difference, symmetrical uh, set where you know it, ha it has to exist uh, in either one or the other. And uh, you know you can do left join, right join. So, you know, basically sets are the foundation of database theory because they allow for extraction of the data. And uh, that was the basis of one upon which SQL was based, it built, was on set theory. And so, uh, originally when you dealt with databases, you did uh, mathematical set logic. So there's a, uh, there's a form of logic philosophy where they have different symbols that represent union, intersection, complement, left join, right join, and you could you could do uh, you could explain your extraction out in terms of set, and then um, um, uh, you could then uh, apply that set to the database for making uh, the predictability of extracting your data. It's really strange. I'm sure that you know most uh, developers don't even deal in the world of, of SQL. They're probably dealing in the world of objects and uh, you know entity framework um, where they can get a list of objects and uh, combine things based on link code and link code is kind of interesting because I use a I used a, a, a tool called Linkpad, and it would take the link code and it would show me what the link code converts to in terms of the SQL and a lot of times it was not very efficient so there were certain things that you didn't want it even though it looked kind of cool in the uh, in the lambda expressions uh, when it got down into the SQL, it wasn't very efficient. So I started thinking, well, the way to do things is not really in the link, but to do it in the SQL, on the SQL Server as stored procedures, because that's where you can optimize your queries and, and your error handling uh, and so forth and transaction processing. And uh, I'm more inclined to, to like that, but I know 
you know, a lot of times developers just want, they don't want to have to go through that middle layer through another person, a DBA, to write their SQL. Uh, they, they want to just be able to, to put it, the query together quickly in link and then pass that over to the server and uh, bypass uh, any of the store procedures. So all the code now is in that middle layer, in that, uh, uh, in that uh, microservice layer, you know, uh, or, you know, in a, in a microservice and it's pulling data from a single database off that microserver. And, you know, then you're extracting from the microservices uh, back up to, uh, you could have like a, a queue of, of microservices that are running, pulling data, and then extracting that out into a, a collective amount. So collection, it's kind of aggregating it. Um, and I and I've done that before, where you you have different pulls, and then you'd have different task threads. And those task threads then would communicate with different data sources, extract the data, and then they had a, would have a large array that um, accumulated it, and then sent it back to the front end. And that that array could be uh, load balanced. So there, that was one approach. That was a mainframe approach where we had you know, lots of users. And then they, they switched it to Java and because of the Java uh, could be run against uh, more scalable systems. And then as a result of getting more scalable, they were able to uh, uh, handle more users. So that was, that's always your key when you're dealing with uh, transactional systems is how do you handle a increasing number of users you know to handle 10,000 users is one deal but what you know what happens if you have a million users uh, that are concurrently hitting your system you know? well long long discussion this morning but bad weather and hopefully uh, this cold front uh, ends soon. I hear it's going to end a couple of days from now, but then next week it's going to pick up. And, you know, it's been a real nice winter, hardly any snow, but lots of snow today.